1: It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's
0: Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Ladies and gentlemen, here she is, Cindy Crawford. Thank you.
1: So, Andrea, when you think of Hollywood couples of the 90s, who do you think of? Hmm, Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow. Duh.
2: Johnny Depp and Kate Moss. Oh, and Cindy Crawford and
1: Richard
0: Gere. You know, the cover of People magazine. Look at this right here. The sexiest couple alive. (laughs) I came on the show to prove that I am alive.
1: (laughs) That's right. It was October 18th, 1993. Sleepless in Seattle was still at the box office somehow.
0: Didn't you see Fatal Attraction? You wouldn't let me.
1: We were totally listening to Mariah Carey's Dream Lover, which was number one. And Cindy Crawford and Richard Gere were on the cover of People magazine as our sexiest couple alive. So today on People in the 90s, we're talking about celebrity couples. Yes, it's a special themed episode.
0: Ooh, exciting.
1: We'll get to hear from Elizabeth Hurley.
0: Yes, I'm still extremely good friends with Hugh. You know, we went through so much together.
1: She and He Grant, of course, were a couple we loved.
2: She safety pinned herself into our minds in that <laughs> dress, Jason.
1: Good use of safety pin, Andrea. No, I know. Thank you. Anyway, I'm Jason Sheeler, Deputy West Coast Editor at People Magazine.
2: And I'm Andrea Laventhal, Style and Beauty Director at People Magazine.
1: And this is People in the 90s, where each week we dive deep into an issue of People Magazine from the best era ever. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Jason. You put on makeup. I put
2: on makeup because I have to record something (laughs) on video right after this.
1: It's. it's, I like it.
2: It's It's, jarring. It's
1: it's, it's a little. It's. I'm not going to lie to you. It's jarring. I Mm -hmm. feel like you're doing a power move.
2: Yeah, I am. You're wearing a leather jacket, so (laughs) I I see your leather jacket and raise you mascara, Jason.
1: (laughs) It's a quilted leather jacket. All right. This is our very first episode of People in the 90s. And, Andrea, this is kind of surreal. As you know, we selfishly created this podcast purely as an excuse for the two of us to talk about the 90s for half an hour or so every week. But we are certainly banking on the fact that all of you listening are just as obsessed as we are. That's right. So we are talking about our sexiest couple alive issue. October 18th, 1993. Do you remember where you were that week? I have to know.
2: Um, I was probably trying to learn the moves to if by Janet Jackson from the video (laughs) in my bedroom in New Jersey where I grew up. So very 90s cliche, you know, the things I do to you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, was, I was an exchange student in Germany
2: Oh, sure
1: That week, I remember distinctly Because my, my, birth, my birthday is October 9th So that week, in October, my host sister Uli was playing me Nirvana's All Apology on her accordion Wow, on her accordion On her accordion, All Apologies on an accordion, if you just, just picture that I can't I can't So I'll tell you where Richard Gere and Cindy Crawford were that week. They were on the cover of People magazine as the sexiest couple alive. So let's talk about that cover story. Andrea, do you know this is the only time in the history of our Sexiest Man Alive franchise that we've included a couple rather than just a dude?
2: Yeah, I wonder if it was just like a really bad year for
1: hot guys on their own. I have some arguments with that. Antonia Banderas was around. But, you know, we've always loved our Hollywood couples. We've always loved them because we're supposed to. If you think about it, we've always shipped. We've always shipped our stars, to borrow the phrase. And what's a fun fact about shipping— is that actually started in the nineteen nineties with Mulder and Scully from X No way.
2: What do you mean?
1: That's where the idea of shipping, where w- wanting two people to come together so intensely that actually comes from the <laughs> X-Files and the rabid fan base for Mulder and Scully. Like,
2: Oh, that is fascinating. I always just assumed it came from some millennial or something. I didn't realize it's our gen.
1: <laughs> it was a Gen X or is was, was a hardcore Gen X because we've always wanted our stars to come together like Tracy and Hepburn, which who really did come together and Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, who did not. And Kerry Grant and Randolph Scott allegedly, allegedly. You know, alle- allegedly came together, but that was all fake shipping. So there's like a reason that we loved these people so much. So I want to hear why you loved Richard Gere and Cindy Crawford, because they ended up on our cover and people really loved them.
2: I just feel like as a young girl growing up in New Jersey with brown hair... I related a lot to Cindy Crawford. I took school very seriously like she did. I did not have a mole, but sometimes I took a brown eyeliner and drew it on my face.
1: Okay, you did not stop.
2: Um, I may have. And fun fact, my hair at my bat mitzvah was inspired by Cindy Crawford. Like she was our American supermodel. Mm. She was the gal next door that no one actually lived next door to. So for her to fall in love with a dashing, older movie star it was just like a fairy tale a modern fairy tale
1: i wonder like what i find fascinating about how they got together i mean there was a significant age difference but what they meant to us in 1993 because she was the supermodel next door and he was always kind of like somehow even when he was in the 80s he was still like an accessible older boyfriend and right right like like the age difference was so Great, if you really think about it, but they looked completely natural together. And I have a theory. What is it? That Pretty Woman (gasps) set that in motion because there is, like, you know, if in terms of archetypes, there's a Julia Roberts-Cindy Crawford, like, intersection Mm -hmm. there. There there is, like, a Venn diagram in the makings there. Sure, sure. In terms of, like, how they were. And so I think that we were completely ready— for him to be a Cindy Crawford because Julia Roberts had laid the groundwork for it just three years before in Pretty Woman. I
2: think you're right. She is like the freshman girl who's really hot. And he's the senior with a heart of gold and they get together and it's scandalous, but everyone <laughs> loves them because it's such a romance, such a fairy tale. And of course she goes on to become homecoming queen, which has never happened in the history of the whole high school. Did a freshman get to, but you know, she did and he did that for her. So I'm sorry if I got off topic, but you asked me what they meant to me and that's <laughs> what they meant to me.
1: Well, I've just, let's go back to really who they were at the time. Like he had done American Gigolo. He'd done Pretty Woman and he was, he was a huge star. He was a little bit on a on a downswing, like pretty woman. He hadn't done much since then. He was at the time making a movie with Jodie Foster, but she would had already been on 300 magazine covers by the time that they were on the cover people magazine. And she already just like perhaps her 301st magazine cover for her career. So she was already huge. huge Pepsi. She had like done George Michael's freedom video. I mean, that was just like, that was the supermodel moment. Apex. And it's interesting that these incredibly like, you know, totally hot people, Came together as the sexiest couple, and it, it is like a tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> but they were they, they were just comp- it was a completely fascinating moment in American pop culture because there was like this relaxed nature to celebrity couples in the 90s. However,
2: we also had some mystery around them. The only things we knew were what the media put out. There was no Instagram for them. They didn't have, you know, pictures of them sitting on their couch doing the things we do. So everything seemed very glamorous and mysterious. So unless you were reading People Magazine, you didn't really know what was up with them. You know, he cooked her trout at her childhood home in DeKalb. (laughs) We would never know such things if you didn't read them in People Magazine. Magazine humanized them.
1: It did humanize them. And that's, I've spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about why couples in the 90s, like, what what made them different, like, what, you know, after, after the 80s and before the aughts. And the only thing I can come up with is that the 90s were a period of, like, intense optimism, you know, post-Cold War, pre-social media, like, the birth of the internet. And there was, like, a relaxed joy. Like, you get to the point to where both of them were the subject at the time of gay rumors. I
2: totally had forgotten about that.
1: There are gay rumors about Cindy Crawford and there are gay rumors about Richard Gere, and what I find totally ahead of their time mm-hmm. is that they were so unbothered by rumors of them being gay, which is normal today. It's like, hey, what's wrong with it? Right, right. Like, like the, how Nick Jonas like treated the gay rumors about him. But they weren't shocked. They weren't outraged. They didn't go to any links to defend them. They were just like, no, like, what's the big deal? Yeah. Which I found, you know, really refreshing. And if you think about 1993, that was not the case for a lot of people. Yeah.
2: Everything about this article is very. Um delicious if you will like the way we talk about them the way we describe their relationship it's so juicy you know didn't you think like i'm just gonna read the beginning because i just i love it they perform their parts perfectly beautiful people living the glamorous life She, of course, is the supermodel with the tousled hair, the clothing snugly clinging to voluptuous curves. Uh, He is the superstar with the nonchalant stubble and the shy, beguiling smile. Could there be a more public pair than Cindy Crawford and Richard Gere? In some ways, no. And yet, while smiling for the cameras and navigating oceans of fans, these two enjoy a quiet conspiracy.
1: You know, th- th- there is a there is a lot of like capital D drama in that lead. That's
2: just the lead.
1: Yeah. And they they were to a lot of people, like you said, like the king and queen of the prom. But it was what they did, you know, at the time for culture is like there were probably no two more beautiful people you know, coming together. And that's like how we start shipping our stars, right? Because they simultaneously make us feel better and worse about ourselves.
2: Right. I mean, look, even when they go house shopping, they have things that that's important to both of them and they have to settle on a house. She was carefully checking out the fixtures in the home and and he was sitting alone in a room where he could, quote, draw from it. Because remember, he's a Buddhist. He's very spiritual. He
1: was like the first time, I have to remember, I mean, like I'm from Arkansas. There aren't a lot of Buddhists. But he was totally the first time I think I ever even, like, heard perhaps the word Buddhism is like Richard Gere. Like, he's inextricably linked to Buddhism for me, which is, I I guess, wonderful and horrifying.
2: What kind of moments do you think the introduction was when he was like, Dolly, meet Dalai Lama, obviously. (laughs) Dolly, meet Cindy. Cindy, Dolly.
1: I thought you meant Dolly Parton. Well,
2: obviously. But, like, that's our (laughs) Dolly. But his Dolly. And she was like, nice to meet you. (laughs) And he's like, you're pretty. And that was it. Because she, I think, was Catholic. So yeah. I don't know, the whole thing, you know, two people coming together with different religious backgrounds. Oh, we all have that. That's we can relate. So I loved them. I, you know, like I said, I saw a lot of myself in sin. And I thought they were a beautiful couple. Even with the gray hair, I, I was into him.
1: I don't want you to get too excited.
0: It's only on long. Oh. <laughs>
1: So what other couples in the 90s did you completely worship? Who were you into? Well,
2: you know, we had a lot of really good model and big name star pairings. There was Johnny Depp and Kate Moss. They were like your dirty, sexy model actor couple, right? So if, Mm. if Cindy and Richard are prom king and queen, these two are smoking under the bleachers, right? And she's like wearing his leather jacket and they're partying and they're always fighting. But you know what one I forgot about? Claudia Schiffer and and David Copperfield, which people were like so confused and i was just laughing because i'm like here are all of her gal pals the whole crew has found these like hot a-list stars and she's like well you could probably do a german accent i cannot but she was like you guys
1: she's like was is lost
2: i am with david copperfield the greatest magician in the world and everyone was like "Mm, claudia oh i mean he's got money but oh you made a hard left we were all going right So they're kind of my favorite in a weird way,
1: but think back to those television specials with David Copperfield. I mean, I I think he made the Statue of Liberty disappear. I know. I mean, magic is tough, but there's there's an appeal. So what about you? Will Smith and Jada Pinkett, because I was a huge Fresh Prince fan, Mm. like so into them. Like when when they got together, I did like my Reese and Ryan.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Breeze with a spoon of Ryan Phillippe. And then we can't, I mean, we, we can't get out of this without talking about Brad and Gwen. Oh. And then, of course, Brad and Jen. Yeah,
2: he really, I don't want to say been with everyone, but he's been with the best, the best of the best gals. Brad and Gwyneth were so, so overused to say iconic, but they were iconic. First of all, what is cooler than having matching highlights and and making it look cool? Like when they had the same haircut and highlights, when they stepped out like that, All I wanted was a boyfriend with the same hair as me. And fun fact, by the end of high school, I had one. He had had shoulder length brown hair too. And we looked like brother and sister, which is weird. But if Brad and Gwyneth could do it, so could I. Uh,
1: Wait, hold up, Andrea. Is that a
2: pager going off? It has to be. Uh, Hey, guys. Oh, hi, producer Chris. What's up? Uh, It is a pager going off. It's the people in the 90s pager, and it's actually Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. She's going to tell us which red carpet look completely
1: defined the 90s for her.
2: The, The red carpet look that defined the 90s for me most probably be the... Steady strap, beaded slip dress that I wore as Brad Pitt's date to the Oscars. Yes, that is one of my favorites, too. I loved that look. Thanks, G. Thank you so much.
1: Okay, can we just talk really quickly for a second? I can't believe she said Brad Pitt.
2: I know. Full name. Brad Pitt and his date. Like, they went to the prom or something. They were so young. They were so in love. They met on the set of Seven. And uh, she actually took responsibility for that relationship ending. She said she wasn't mature enough and she didn't treat the relationship with the respect it deserves. She broke his heart. Who walks away from Brad Pitt? I love it.
1: I just recently watched Seven, by the way. It's a totally, it's completely worth it. Like that movie really holds up. It's Terrifying and frightening. It's so it's good. It's really
2: freaky because it's my favorite movie. And it freaks people out when I say that.
1: I find that uncomfortable.
2: Detective, it's the best movie. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, what's in the box? So perhaps my favorite 90s couple uh, 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 of all. I mean, maybe, maybe even more than Whitley and Dwayne Wayne. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> obsessed with a different world. Remember his like remember his glasses like that folded up they and down?
2: What's up? I know. Like, I those loved, never really caught on, though. I, lo-
1: I, 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 I may have worn a pair of those at band camp. But um, <laughs> there was a moment in the 90s where there was this beautiful young woman named Elizabeth Hurley who showed up on the arm of an actor named Hugh Grant.
0: Hugh Grant and Elizabeth Hurley instantly became one of the world's hottest and most photographed couples.
2: The British version of Cindy and Richard, if you will,
1: Oh, completely. Yeah, totally.
2: When we were talking, you called them foreign exchange students, which I love.
1: (laughs) They were like they were hot foreign exchange students who were like you were just like you know beguiling and curiously like you know advanced. You know, anyone in Arkansas, we'd say, "Oh, they're from out of state," because that meant they're like they're better than us, (laughs) and they're totally like they're totally from out of state.
2: Um, Well, sometimes those foreign exchange students could be like, "Soup's weird," and nobody talked to them. But these two, (laughs) we were we were fascinated with. But we all know where it all started. I mean. It started at the premiere.
0: ...premiere of her boyfriend Hugh Grant's film, Four Weddings and a Funeral.
2: And, and do you want to tell the story? Do you want to break it down and remind everybody why they were so special?
1: I, I, I would love to. I mean, she was actually, the weird thing is, she actually wasn't even a model yet. She was like a, a, a punk, you know, a kind of an English punk who became um, a period piece actress, but she showed up on the arm of her boyfriend who was just promoting a little film called Four Weddings and a Funeral. And there she was, and what's now known as that dress, Mm -hmm. if you Google that dress, she comes up. And by
2: that dress, of course, we're talking about the iconic black Versace gown featuring a plunging neckline, an up-to-there slit, safety pins, and then there was the gorgeousness of Elizabeth, right? You you combine all of these elements, and you just have, like, just a fire moment, as the kids say.
1: And then... The next day, after the premiere, she's on every newspaper all over the world, and her life changed. And here's the most amazing thing, is like we got to talk to her. We did. Hi, Elizabeth. It's Jason with People Magazine.
2: Hello, Jason. And I'm Andrea. How
0: are you, Elizabeth? (laughs) Hello, Andrea. Good. Thank you very much.
1: I will tell you quickly that I spent the morning digging into the People archives, and I found the very first time we wrote about you, Elizabeth, in People magazine, it was surrounding your parting Christabel, which <laughs> appeared here on PBS. And I'll tell you that we described you as a former punk, and this is a quote, I did not write this, as a former punk who is a stunningly fresh and elegant actress.
0: Oh. Well, funnily enough, I remember that interview. Obviously, I've given tens of thousands, but that was so early on in my career on my first trip to L.A. that I actually remember it. I know it was a female journalist, I can't remember her name, but I actually remember the interview. Oh,
1: oh my gosh. I I hope it was a positive experience.
0: It was. She was absolutely charming, but I was very surprised. Because I know this is a very American thing, but it's something which makes English people laugh so much. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when they describe people, they always put their weight in. (gasps) They always say, you know, he's about 5'10", 180 pounds. And we never, ever say that. And I remember the first question was, what do you weigh?
1: Oh, my God.
0: I remember,
2: I <laughs> beg your pardon. My jaw is on the ground. Like, I'm appalled right now. Things have changed, thank God. I will tell you. As an American woman, I would be like, interview over. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no. I didn't mind at all. It just made me laugh. Well, you're a good sport. Okay, so, you know, we have to ask you about the dress. And that day that everything changed, March 9th, 1994, set the scene for us. Because basically it's like you're borrowing a dress for a premiere with your boyfriend. And then the next day you wake up and you're like the most famous woman in the world. So take us back, tell us about that moment, going to the premiere and the day after.
0: Well, it was very strange because nobody really had stylists then. I'm not even sure they existed. And I'd never borrowed anything at all. But You know, there's a bit of buzz about my then-boyfriend Hugh's new movie, and on the day, I realized I didn't have anything to wear if we were going to be photographed, and I had one friend who worked in fashion, and she said, oh, I think I've got the number of a press office. So to cut a long story short, I went by underground, by Cube, to their office in Soho, and they they said, we've only got one dress, and they gave it to me in a little plastic bag, not hung up, (laughs) just in a white plastic bag. And so I took it home. I didn't have a steamer, obviously. I didn't even have a full-length mirror. So I put it on and out we went. And it really was the most extraordinary action. It was just a perfect dress at the perfect event at the perfect time. And it just worked.
2: Did you know, looking in your non-full-length mirror and only seeing yourself from the waist up, that this was going to be, you were going to be the news? Did you have
0: any idea? Zero. Absolutely. I had no idea whatsoever. So it was just brand new to me. I didn't know anything about fashion and didn't have much interest in it. But gradually, mostly through my work with the Estee Lauder company and working with just amazing stylists from sort of the mid-90s onwards, and suddenly being exposed to, to fashion, to beautiful clothes, to wonderful hair and makeup artists, suddenly, you know, a brave new world opened for me. And I embraced it and loved it. But it just hadn't been part of my life before then. So where
1: is the dress today?
0: Well, funnily enough, I happen to know it's in the Metropolitan Museum because a friend of mine took a snap of it the other day.
1: Oh, amazing. Yeah. Like it's in, it's in their archives.
0: Yeah, it, 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 I gave it straight back. And it's been <laughs> displayed many times in many exhibitions. And it, it is in the Met right now. So, Elizabeth, as your career
2: took off, there was so much interest in your personal life, particularly your relationship. Like, what was it like to be one half of the it
0: couple? Why were people so fascinated by you two? I think it was a little different then because there was no social media. Um, It was a little more organized in a way. You know, you'd make a movie and there'd be a press tour and you'd do your press things, there were press releases everything, nothing, you know, doesn't exist anymore any of that, you can announce anything you like whenever you feel like it on your social media you know, I don't don't know I think there was a little more privacy then, to be quite honest, even though I mean the paparazzi aren't anywhere near as bad because everybody takes their own pictures Mm. so, you know, the the value of people stalking and hiding and lurking, you know a, a, a lot of that, the value's gone out of the market a lot, it's still there a bit of course But it's nothing like it was. It's not exclusive if you've already taken a picture of yourself before you leave the house. (laughs) Everybody's already seen what you look like. There was a lot more mystery.
1: Yeah, and it seems like you could have even been allowed to have a lot more fun back back then. You could just have a lot more freedom when you were out and about. And premieres perhaps were actually even more fun because you didn't have to work so much.
0: There's no doubt about it. But it does mean that you are are being filmed pretty much any time you put your nose out of your house. You know, everyone's taking pictures and taking videos, and that can be a little alarming. So it, it can still, I think, make people in the public eye be nervous about going out a little bit.
1: So I've got an ultimate 90s question. What is your personal, like, wildest memory of the 90s that really sums up the decade for you? That was just uber 90s Elizabeth Hurley memory.
0: Wow, oh, golly. I mean, the 90s are so formative for me that everything was sort of in technicolor, I remember I was producing a movie in Toronto and I'd got so cold during the day that I was lying under about 50 duvets in my apartment when I got a call from my agent saying, you've been offered a movie called Austin Powers. It's really weird. I don't know if you're going to like it. It's with Mike Myers. And my then boyfriend, Hugh went, oh, he's brilliant. He's the best comedian in the world. You have to say yes. So I read it and went, yes, okay." But I mean, it did read very strangely, but I loved the 60s. I've always loved the 60s. And, you know, the 90s fashion for me was very much sort of an updated combination of 60s and 70s, which are the two eras that I love in fashion. So half the time we'd be dressing like Jackie O and we'd have you know our hair flicked up at the ends and deep side partings and we'd be wearing little pillbox suits, short skirts. And then we'd be doing Tom Ford 90s Gucci You know, skinny, 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 silk shirts, unbuttoned, tight, tight, tight on the hip, low rise, pants. It was just a great time. You know, my career taking off, stepping into the world of modeling and fashion, which I never even thought I'd ever step into, meeting amazing people. I remember there was one time in South Africa when I was wearing a little peppermint green Versace, Jackie O sort of suit. And at the event, I met the Pope and Nelson Mandela at the same event. And that seemed a pretty magical night for me. But, you know, it was also, it, it seemed to be a very, an era where, you know, Princess Diana died, Johnny Versace was shot. There were some sort of very dramatic things that all seemed to happen in a very small space. And for me, I was in a whirlwind during the whole thing. So it was just, you know, a lot for my little brain, it was a lot all going on at the same time. But it's nice when you can look back and remember things. People keep telling me things I I can't remember at all. And they tell me, and then when they keep talking, finally, I can remember what they're talking about. And that's kind of rather wonderful because I think everything passes so fast when you're just so frantically busy that you you, you don't get the time to smell the roses, really.
2: Speaking of looking back, so your son's 18, and what's something you would tell your 18-year-old self now, knowing what is to come in your life, your career, meeting the Pope, Nelson Mandela, what would you tell yourself? Keep a diary. Hmm.
0: Did you keep a diary? I didn't, but I've kept all my schedules, my work schedules or schedules, as you'd say. (laughs) So my schedules are all in plastic boxes somewhere. So I could go back and look at it all. But no, I didn't keep a diary. And I really, really wish I had.
1: Okay, Elizabeth, last question. you for many of us, you you and Hugh, you kind of summed up the 90s as the ultimate it couple. What couple for you sums up your 90s? So what, what was who was your ultimate 90s it couple?
0: Well, let me see. Who would I think? Um, Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow, I guess.
1: Did you guys double date with people?
0: Well, I don't know if you know. Who, do you, I don't know if you know who Liam Gallagher. And, oh, yes, we do. Of course, do you know Liam Gallagher from Oasis. Of course, we do. Yeah, well, Patsy. Patsy was one of my best friends, so um, oh. the four of us would go out a lot. And I love Liam and Patsy. They were a fantastic couple for me in the nineties.
1: Oh, their their style was yeah. fantastic too.
0: Yeah, it, that was a that was a really good time. Um, um, um
1: well there was there is passion becks of course oh, Beckham. Yes, yes
0: of course yes 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 absolutely um victoria and david they they're good friends and fabulous still together you know four exquisite children um, yeah, that's mm. a wonderful success story to come
1: out of the 90s. Oh, I love that.
2: I would say you're a success story because I was looking back when we were doing our research and the fact that you and your ex managed to be friends, not only friends, he's your son's godfather. You should teach relationship courses to, to young women how to how to navigate that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yes, I'm, I'm still extremely good friends with Hugh. You know, we went through so much together. But I've been thinking, I, I think one of the most important things to keep good relations with your exes is to have a lot of respect for their current life. That's nice, yeah. You know? Mm. I, mean, I, haven't been, I mean, we haven't been romantically involved for 20 years, I don't think, even though, you know, we, we have such a strong friendship. But we're always very aware that there are other people in our lives. You know, mm. there's partners, there's children. There's a, you know, you can't just sort of live in a lovely rosy mist of the past. You have to move with the times and be very respectful of the present, which we are.
1: I would say you've been ahead of the times. You were an influencer before we had the term, and, and in fact, you guys nearly kind of consciously uncoupled, as it were, before that was a thing.
0: <laughs> that does sound hysterical, doesn't it? Yeah, you
1: I did mean, like it. You, for, for sure. I'm, we're so appreciative of your time. Thank you so much your, to be so game for our um, for our little insane questions, but that, that were so much fun. Yeah, you
2: were you were great. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Bye.
1: And there you have it, Elizabeth Hurley. Do you think we can call her Liz?
2: After that?
1: Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're going to do it.
2: You know what's so interesting, Jason, is that I've actually had the opportunity to speak to Liz about her work as the global ambassador for the Estee Lauder Company's breast cancer campaign, which she's been doing for over 25 years. But this is the first time I've heard about her meeting the Pope and Nelson Mandela in a mint green Versace dress.
1: And I just have to say, I mean, y'all couldn't see her, but she looks amazing. So I'll be buying some Estee Lauder advanced night repair immediately. Hey, folks, it's Hunter Lewis, editor in chief of Food and Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food and Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living, Travel and Leisure, and we want to see you there. This incredible three day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at food and wine, southern living, and travel and leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston.
2: Okay, but Jason, I am not done talking about this 1993 Sexiest Couple Alive issue because if you turn to page 128, there is a piece about the opening of the new Planet Hollywood in D.C. And that reminded me of the trend of these 90s power couples going into the restaurant business together.
1: Well, it's like it was actually this you just got to see a little bit like totally behind the curtain. Like the fact that some of your favorite stars that you totally ship, that you totally love, that you totally were just obsessed with actually had not only personal relationships. Like they weren't just like, you know, getting coffee in Brentwood. They were going into business together. So you had like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Maria Shriver, you had Bruce Willis and me more. You can just
2: picture them all at someone's house having like biscotti and cappuccino being like, okay, guys, here's the idea. We're going to go into business. We're going to have the best grilled chicken Caesar salad in town. And then we're going to franchise the F out of it and never have to be involved. And they're going to open eventually in Dubai. And, you know, we can swap who has to go to the openings, but it'll be fun and it'll make us a lot of money. And they all put their hands in. <laughs> they did one, two, three, money.
1: <laughs> I, I love the dedication with which you walked through that entire scenario, um, down to the hands. But no, but in like in like cut to us standing in line to pay, you know, twenty four dollars for a hamburger and a milkshake to eat next to Schwarzenegger's like sweaty leather jacket from Total Recall.
2: So basically, The First Planet Hollywood opens in late nineteen ninety one in New York City, and what's so funny, Jason, is like as it grew, it eventually had 87 locations, by the way, worldwide. Wait, what? I feel like at one point they were like, can we get a sock Arnold? <laughs> like, do you have like a
1: sock? I I never thought that like, is that actually like Terminator, you know, actual clothing next to me? Like, I mean, I always was like who's, who's fact checking this? Who's fact checking? Uh, hey guys. Hey, this is this is Chris.
2: Hi, producer Chris. What do you need? What do you have? What, what is so urgent, Chris?
1: I have a, a source that I will not name. He used to be a prop designer here in L.A. where I live,
0: and he revealed to me that when he was a prop designer in the 90s, he may or may not have created props for the Planet Hollywood restaurant.
1: I knew it. I knew that that sweaty leather jacket was fake. Breaking news. My dreams are shattered. You, you, you heard it here first. We have, we have breaking news 30 years later.
2: Wow. But you felt so Hollywood adjacent, literally, right?
1: For sure. And then what spun off of that was like the Models Cafe.
2: I cannot believe. You might be the only person on earth who remembers that. Other than me. Because remember the joke, all of the late night TV hosts, their joke was like, what are they gonna serve? Like iceberg, lettuce, <laughs> coffee, and like cigarettes. That was really the best worst idea ever, ever, ever. But was it called Planet Fashion? What was, what was it? It was Fashion Cafe.
1: Oh, okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> models models, models 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 cafe has more zing. I like I've models
2: cafe. But really that trends was like that was the thing to do was be a mega couple and go into mega business. And look, look, it's still happening now.
1: Yeah, but the interest, what was unique, though, was the, the, was the partnerships. Like, you know, to, like, Kate Hudson and Fabletics is one thing, but like Tom Arnold and Roseanne and the Schwarzeneggers and <laughs> Bruce Wilson to me more like, like selling hamburgers. It's, it's actually so sublimely uh, incredible to think about. God, what a time.
2: Come join us at Planet Hollywood. I guarantee you, you won't be the
1: same when it's all over. All right, Andrea, this is a show about the 90s, so I've got to know, who is your dream guest?
2: I would love to get Daria Morgendorfer.
1: Wait, the cartoon?
2: Well, she's a woman to me, but yes, I suppose the animated animated personality. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'm into that.
1: What about you? Um, I have to admit something, and so this is true confessions time. I feel like I need to go in the real world confessions. What was that called, the confessions room? The confessional booth. The confessional booth, there we go. Here in the confessional booth, I will confess, I'm hoping to get Fabio.
2: No way. I can't believe it's not butter, Fabio.
1: He had a cover a people magazine in the 90s and he defined the hunkdom and babedom and men with long hair like leontine looks and i think he would be the ideal guest for people in the 90s
2: so you're gonna you're gonna go for him you're gonna bring him to us
1: i'm not this is not a bit i'm not making this up we are gonna go after fabio hard all
2: right go get him jason go get him and bring him to us <laughs> Jason, please turn your People magazine to page 117.
1: I will do that immediately.
2: Let me know when you've arrived at Canadian Sunbeam. I
1: was hoping we were going to get to her.
2: So, of course... We're talking about Pamela Anderson because who else would be our Canadian sunbeam? Yes, that was the head of an article about a up-and-coming star named Pamela Anderson.
1: The 90s had like all these like super Canadians, like Mike Myers. Like it's almost like Australians now. Super
2: Canadians.
1: It's like everyone's an Australian now in Hollywood, but like we had this like Canadian influx. I mean, she was it.
2: An elite club of Canadians who took America by storm. She was new to the show, Baywatch and was obviously like a breakout star. And when you read this article, it's made very clear that everyone's obsessed with Pam Anderson, hence Canadian Sunbeam. We were too. So she was on home improvement. Uh,
1: Well, yes, she was the tool girl. Putting complete and total insulting objectification aside, like Lisa the tool girl, how awkward is that notion today? But she was. She was Lisa the tool girl whose sole job on Home Improvement, which was a mega, mega, mega hit, was to introduce Tim Allen on his show within the show, Tool Time.
2: And then she got promoted to full-time red bathing suit wearer, Baywatch Lifeguard. Yep. Right? So I don't know, I think it was a promotion because you got to save lives um, and she wasn't just handing tools, but she did have to wear a bathing suit the whole time. So we just have to do a little reading because this is one of the funniest articles we had in the issue, maybe of all time, in People. Pout, you're out. That's the motto at Baywatch, otherwise known as Babe Watch, the syndicated hit series about a troop of splashy LA lifeguards, all of whom seem to have been molded from some super sexy amalgam of hormones and copper toad. Oh, they should be teaching that lead, using it as an example in all journalism programs. <laughs>
1: okay? Pout your out, that is the rule around here at people in the 90s.
2: It's Yes, it's our our official motto. We're getting it painted on the walls. So there was no pouting from Pamela Anderson. She, at the time, was 26. She played C.J. Parker, and she was a dream to work with, apparently. David Hasselhoff, co-executive producer and star of the series, says, I love Pam's attitude. At the end of the day, she's taking karate lessons out on the parking lot, and I'm going, yeah, yeah. What a random fun fact, David Hasselhoff. Thank you.
1: What I loved about the story is that we got in a little like breaking couples news from 1993. She and Scott Bayo had just ended their engagement and they met at yes. the Playboy Mansion.
2: Yes, in 1989, which is how all good 90s couples should have been meeting, which is at the Playboy Mansion. So she says he's a great guy in the article, but he's very practical and logical. I live day by day and he's not spontaneous at all. But I thought maybe that's good for me. As soon as she said yes in September, though, a knot in her stomach told her being Mrs. Logical wasn't for her. I love this. For his part, Bayo insists that he was the one who called it
1: quits. Short I mean, okay, yeah, sense. sure, sure. sure. That's, that's just fine. And then we can't get out of talking about Pam Anderson without, you mentioned she did go on to date and marry. Am I correct? Does, does she and Lee get married?
2: Of course and they then, did. And then, of course, there
1: was the matter of the sex tape, which we'll not be discussing in any detail.
2: No, but I liked the way we ended this because it just goes to show that Pamela Anderson knew exactly what she was doing. Hence why we're still talking about her today. I love the dumb blonde image she says. Then I have nothing to live up to. I can only surprise people.
1: And what's really cool about this is that this was our sexiest couple. A live issue. We've been talking about couples this entire time. But really, like Pam Anderson was just the sexiest person period of the 1990s.
2: Period. Pamela Anderson, everyone.
1: All right, Andrew, one last thing. Do you know what was so 90s? The term model turned actress.
2: MTAs. Yeah, there was Rebecca Romaine, Cameron Diaz, Elle McPherson, and Mila Jovovich. They were all MTAs in the 90s. And 1995, the movie Fair Game, starring Billy Baldwin, co-starred our favorite MTA, Cindy Crawford.
1: Oh my God, that movie. But there is one more. Okay, get ready for this. Before she became the first Black woman on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue... Before twenty-four seasons of the ever memeable America's Next Top Model, before she had her own talk show, hosted Dancing with the Stars, and way, way before the advent of the smize, smiling with your eyes, I'm giving it to you right now.
0: Mm, you're pain. totally
1: smizing. I'm into mm. it. You nailed it. Tyra Banks was nineteen and merely a supermodel. And she was discussed in 153 words in the Insider with Mitchell Fink column in this very issue. Yeah,
2: she was like hot goss back then. I love it. Okay.
1: It's a little bit of goss, hot goss. So back then, she was one half of a new sexy couple— as we discussed her new relationship with Boys in the Hood director John Singleton, who sadly passed away in 2019. In fact, their relationship debut was at the premiere of Singleton's second film, Poetic Justice, starring one Janet Jackson. Loved that movie. So I happen to maybe have gone back and, like, looked at the premiere photos. On the red carpet that very night, she wore a suede mini dress, a choker— And the same exact striped beanie that she'd worn when she made her acting debut, Full Circle Moment, on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air.
2: All of that is just so 90s.
1: Well, there you have it. Power couples of the 90s. And thanks again to Elizabeth Hurley, for sure, for being so game to be our guest today. People in the 90s is hosted by me, Jason Sheeler, and Andrea Laventhal. It's produced by Jason Sheeler and Chris Jacobs, executive produced by Kim Rittberg and David Flumenbaum, edited by Chris Jacobs, mastered by Erica Wong, and with production support by Persia Verlin, Matt Sav, and Rachel King at Pod People.
2: I'm Andrea Laventhal. Thanks so much for listening.
1: And I'm Jason Sheeler.